The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here he is, Brandon. Welcome back to the Brandon Peters Show and the grand finale of our farewell DCEU series. As always, with me for this, from Puck and the Outside Scoop, which this week is a very nice butter pecan, Scott Mendelson. That sounds delicious. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, Scott, we're here. A new movie, our last movie, the fourth DCEU movie of the year. Did Marvel ever get for it? No. Well, unless you count some of the Sony ones, I think 2018 you might have. Okay. Yeah. Because if you count Venom, and it's not healthy, you count Spider-Verse, that was five. Okay. But no, I don't think, you know, Disney never had four Marvel movies in a single year. This is a dump. I don't think that helped. All right. I don't think that helped Marvel. I think, you know, a lot of the whole, you know, quote unquote Marvel fatigue, whatever you want to call it, is mm-hmm. that, you know, you lost 2020 because of COVID, understandably. You basically, mm-hmm. they dumped two or three years worth of content, film and television all at once in 2021. Yeah. And I think there was a certain amount of overkill, but well, no, that's a different conversation. Strike while the iron is already hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, here we are. Aquaman and... The Lost Kingdom. I am Aquaman. I'm a warrior, a father, and a king of Atlantis. I'm going to destroy Aquaman's kingdom. That's how we stop, little brother. Do not call me, brother. Oh, excuse me, your highness. You know how to ride one of these? Are you kidding? Come on! Directed by James Wan, written by David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, on a story by James Wan, uh, Johnson McGoldrick, and Jason Momoa, accredited writer, uh, and Thomas Pasabet, starring Jason Momoa, Patrick Wilson, Yahya Abdul Mateen II, Amber Heard is back! Woohoo! Nicole Kidman, Randall Park, Johnny Zhao, Tamura Morrison, Dolph Lundgren, and John Reese davies with Martin Short as Kingfish. Black Manta seeks revenge on Aquaman for his father's death, just like last time. Wielding the Black Trident's power, he becomes a formidable foe. To defend Atlantis, Aquaman forges an alliance with his imprisoned brother. They must protect the kingdom. So, yes, um, this one is a, you know, Black Manta was the um, sub-villain of the last one. He has graduated with assists, with supernatural assistance to the main villain. So, Scott, uh, let's start it off. Aquaman 2, we both were crossing our fingers, hoping uh, how how were our uh, fortunes met. Well... What, what did we all? I mean, I've said this a lot, and I know you guys have too. In a vacuum, in a world where superhero movies aren't the do and die of all pop culture, blah, 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 
I felt Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom was a perfectly enjoyable three-star IMAX-worthy matinee. Is it as good as the first one? Good God, no. <laughs> Is it obvious that there was lots that got revised, rewritten, recut, removed? Probably, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a 20 minutes shorter than its predecessor. I mean, that is in itself, although again, it's still over two hours with the credits. So that's, it's, you know, it's not a super short movie. Um, but I mean, it does feel like it hits a lot of the same notes as the first film in terms of Arthur reluctantly going on a quest with a member of Atlinian royalty to find a thing that will allow him to you know, defeat a tyrant that's about to come to power in a bad way and destroy the world. Obviously, there's a lot of Thor the Dark World in terms of him teaming up with his evil brother who was the villain in the last movie. That's a perfectly valid plot. That's the reason they do that a lot. You have the hero and the villain that teams up to take on somebody that's more dangerous than both or that endangers them both. Visually, I thought this film was delightful. It's clear that Juan had a lot of fun in terms of the locations and the monsters and the vehicles and the various sea creatures going against other sea creatures and giant battles. Having said that, I think the action feels different than the first film in a, you know, good way and that variety is good. I think at its best, this film's the, the action feels like a very well-staged platform video game. And I mean that as a compliment. There's lots of, you know, there's, there's a couple extended set pieces in the second act where it feels like a Super Mario Brothers movie, but a good one. And it's clear that, you know, Juan is very good at this kind of pulpy, ampy, but sincere, over-the-top, itch-and-sick-type blockbuster that mixes fantasy and horror and a certain amount of melodrama that just, you know, it's a fun time in the movies. This is not as disciplined a picture as the first picture. Um, it certainly doesn't feel as much, you know, what Juan really wanted to do. And I know that's speculation on my part, but, you know, if you go back and you read, you know, what, you know, years ago, he's like, going to be a darker sequel that expands the world building and, and deals with lots of themes in terms of Atlantis coexisting with the surface world. And really, there's not much of that in this final picture. This film is basically a straight through romp with a bit of lip service given to the idea of... And I, are we talking spoilers at some point? Yeah, we will talk spoilers in a bit, okay. yeah. Because I, I, I do think how it ends is actually very interesting, but I'll wait for that later. I think this is more of a, you know, just a Saturday matinee, you know, I don't want to say Saturday morning cartoon, that's sort of a cliche when I talk about these movies. But to a certain extent, I mean, that's what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them are better than, you know, again, in terms of the comic book superhero genre, is this as good as, say, Across the Spider-Verse or Black Panther or Shazam? No, absolutely not. But again, in a vacuum, when these films were, you bring your kids, you pay 10 bucks up, up, you sit for two hours on an IMAX screen, and your kids' minds are blown. I think this one does the job. Yeah. But that's not enough in this current theatrical environment. No. And that is why it's not doing that well, along with a multitude of other reasons that are frankly unrelated to the movie itself. Right. I, yeah, I took the family to this one um, and we all enjoyed it. We all had a good time. We were all like, oh, okay. They, they tend to enjoy, they enjoyed, uh, they enjoyed uh, Shazam this year. Uh, They enjoyed The Flash this year. They enjoyed Aquaman and this Aquaman movie. And, uh, and it's not like, 
they weren't like, oh, this is one of the greatest things ever. They just enjoyed it. And a lot of times they're like, well, it's better than Ant-Man. <laughs> That's what they, they had to say about a lot of things. Uh, yeah, this this is just a little, I mean, you're just going to go have popcorn and like, this is that movie you don't need to fear getting up to go to the restroom during, you know, like, and that, I mean, that as a compliment because you can easily get yourself back in there. Uh, I, I totally, so I come into this not being like, Aquaman 2, I kind of come into this more with like the, oh, a new James Wan movie. And in that regard, I lost my mind when they show the the submarine that uh, Black Mance is on and his <laughs> entire crew of it, including Randall Park, are dressed in the spacesuits from Mario Baba's Planet of the Vampires. I lost it. I was like, what is going down to the caps yeah. down to the cap. And I was like, holy crap. This is, <laughs> this is wonderful. Well, he like, had I- cited that film as an influence way back when. Yeah. Okay. Oh. I didn't read that. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> didn't know that. So I was just like, <laughs> he got this around somebody that because there aren't like beautiful looking uniforms like you would see in a superhero movie nowadays and then there is a part where randall parks underwater he takes a picture and it's a texas chainsaw nod really like the little i was just like oh my gosh she's having fun that's what i liked about that um and he seems to be visually uh especially with the um the the lost kingdom ghost skeleton things he is on like an italian schlocky horror kick in his visuals last couple movies and camera work wise i'm all about it i keep going keep going i i like what you're doing between malignant and this 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 and malignant they they have i think malignant's got some better camera work in it um but lower budget might be helpful to the camera movement rather than being in this big digital realm um but they're they're married to each other in a way. Um, there's some stuff going on there. I I like the brother. I think Patrick Wilson's better in this one than he was in the last one. Uh, he's oh, having yeah, he has a, more he, to do. He has more to do. Um, he's quite funny. Um, he's okay playing the because he's has no problem playing the straight man, and his jokes come off great because of that. This is more of a land adventure than the last time. I know people are like, this is uh, looks like they're offering nothing new. I'm like, well, the other one had a lot more underwater stuff, and this one has more land, a uh, little bit smaller scale things uh, than previously, uh, but still good stuff. I didn't feel like the action was quite up with the first one until we got to that cavern battle against the ro- the big octopus yeah. machine they had and there was some running through the caves and seeing it in the background that felt very right and i was like okay he's given us something to remember some yeah. things with this movie by and yeah uh amber heard uh far from cut from this movie but i do feel like she's been edited down to the essentials like yeah she's got- i mean if you told me there was an expository scene or a dramatic scene or even an intimate scene mm-hmm. that didn't make the cut i would absolutely believe you yeah that being said there is no point in this movie where i'm wondering why is mara not here right because right. any point where she should be there she's there she is there yeah and i feel like she got more to do than nicole kidman yeah like um but dolph Lundgren got a lot more to do this time yeah <laughs> So I was like, okay, um, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, uh, the movie flies through, um, but I don't think anything suffers too much. Like there's some choppiness to it and a little bit like, uh, here to here, we're here type type thing, but it's fun enough. It doesn't, 
it does look it has some look and feel differently but it doesn't do anything too differently than the than the last one it's kind of just it's a complimentary film to the first one uh more than it is a new direction from the first one which yeah and i will say i mean for whatever reason they screened this for press in imax 3d and with the caveat that i don't see a ton of 3d screenings these days okay this was gorgeous 3d some of the best that I've seen in it. Since yeah. Avatar? Well, non-Cameron, put that in a box. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the quote from the movie. That was one of the like poll yeah. quotes. It was like, best 3D experience since Avatar. <laughs> non, when you, you know, it's some of the best non-Cameron 3D live mm-hmm. action I've seen in a long time. Okay. Um. Again, with the caveat that I did not see Guardians 3 in 3D. I did not see, you know, I saw Jurassic World Dominion the second time in 3D because my son yeah. was curious and it's like, I'm never gonna have to do that again. You're right. Well, that cavern fight scene, I thought I was talking yeah. about. Like, I be- I imagine that look, the way it was shot, and I'm, I'm in a 2D screening. I'm like, yeah. yeah, that that's probably banger in three. That that probably feels like you're at a theme park ride 3D. Yeah. Like he seems um, to know how to use the camera quite well for it, rather than yeah, just a and it's, it's you're camera. right. I I don't take this so much as oh a new Aquaman movie as so much as a you know James Gunn gets drunk on the studio dime and goes nuts. Juan, and I think there. You mean? What I say? Gun. The next. You, oh, you said the next me. guy. Uh, yeah. Um. Yes. Anyway, uh, James Wan goes drunk on the studio dime and goes nuts. Mm-hmm. Which uh, there's some of that here, and in some ways, no, because again, it's 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 clear this is a film that has been tinkered with in some way or another, and what? And I'm not sure to what extent how, because it's not like it ever mattered. The extent to which it counted in the DC universe in terms of continuity. Yeah. Is Batman going to show up? Who gives a shit? You know, spoiler, there's no Batman cameo. So, yeah. If you care, you're the problem. So, yeah, there was reports. Well, there's pictures. There's all sorts of things that Keaton was in this film. And Affleck was in this film because there was different times with which it was going to be released. And a Batman scene was placed, which was probably a post credit scene, if anything. Yeah. Um, and that's there's one minor spot where you could have theoretically seen Bruce Wayne pop up, but yeah. Otherwise, I don't know where he fits. Yeah, but if you have those scenes <laughs> and you would like us to talk about them, when you send Batgirl to us, the unseen Batgirl of movie, you can tack on the Batman scenes as well, so we can see everything Michael Keaton has done. In the DCEU and uh, and what Affleck's last stand as uh, Batman. So, yeah, uh, we will make a special episode for Batgirl and cap this off properly. So make sure you throw those Batman scenes in with them. This has been my pitch for Batgirl and once again. Once again, I will note, I mean, and this is going to be a slight spoiler, but I don't think it's spoiling. Well, we can we can get not... okay at this okay. point. If you have okay. not watched Aquaman, which at this point has been out for about a week, uh, about a week and a couple days, um, yeah. and we'll be on Max next week. Uh, no, um, <laughs> pause it, skip ahead. We're gonna do some things after the movie, so just hit the thirty, 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 thirty. Uh, but we're gonna move into spoiler territory, so it's free reign now on spoilers. Well, no, I mean, you know, if you remember what a lot of the discourses prior to the film came out, you know, Mm-mm. there's no Batman cameo. It right. doesn't matter whether it connects to the DC universe or not. Nope. Amber Heard has not been cut out of the movie. And no, at no point does a baby get murdered, you fucking Right, murder. where the fuck did that happen? 
Do you understand how mass market blockbusters work? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. My kids were at the end. We're talking about the baby stuff. That was crazy. And my mom's like, or my mom, their mom, my wife, was like, she's like, just so you know. They're like, you weren't worried about the baby mom? She's like, no, because when there's a baby, they don't kill baby, especially if it's PG-13 yeah. or under. They're not killing the baby. Just Except you know, beast the crimes of Rinderwald, oddly enough. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, as far as far as I know, the only one that like really killed the baby, a movie that killed the baby and surprised me, was Sleepy Hollow, <laughs> or it was a kid. Well, it wasn't it was a, a baby. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, a baby. Well, but like a, that's right. Yeah, Michael my, and my my son. He goes. He tells right. my daughter. He goes. He's like, yeah, I know that rule already. He's like, trust me. If Michael Myers isn't going to kill a baby sitting right in front of him, nobody. <laughs> And you had dumb think pieces about that. Why didn't Michael Myers kill the baby? I don't know. Maybe because they want audiences to like the movie and come back and see it again. Yeah. Maybe. Don't kill babies. Or you you can only, and I'm going to make a Homestar Runner reference here if you remember that site. You can only throw baby. You cannot kill baby. Anyway. <laughs> Unless you're the director's cut of Troy, then you can kill babies. Oh, okay. Hmm. Um, you can say a baby killed in another time off screen and yes. beyond cares, um, but the focus baby. The, the Huntsman uh, Winter's War, I think they very suddenly freeze a baby to death. Oh, okay. It's a major plot point. It's oh, wait. Mother. There's oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But, um, the, but I always took the baby as like a metaphor. So <laughs> was it a real baby? I think yeah. by the end, if you've made it to the end of Mother, the fact that they're killing a baby is like, oh, okay, yeah. I always, okay. I, I'll, have to, I'll have to do an episode of that because I have a fascinating. I, I love have that a, movie. I have a fascinating take on that. I know it's like a, a fucking like Jesus Mary, whatever is supposed to be or whatever. But I have a, a take on that where it is the the life uh, the the lifespan of a pop culture superstar, and there uh, that's how it played to me when I watched it the first time. I was like, you know, this could be somebody's rise to ultimate stardom and what people do and fandom and stuff like that. But that's mother. This is Aquaman. <laughs> this has been baby killing talk 2023 <laughs> to end the year or to begin the year. We are in the new year. So, you know, how much of the discourse again, most of this was in the potentially online. Yeah. In a sane world, it would be irrelevant. Yep. And I'd like to think it still was. Mm-hmm. But when you have low key, marketing campaigns and they're not like blanketing the world with like magazine profiles and talk show interviews and what have you and i think that's one of the issues that the marvels had is this is the shit that becomes the media narrative no there's and nothing you, else to counter it and your premiere is just uh marvels or aquaman this is what comes up on your google search yeah well and when your premiere is just uh sending the star and director out to the local amc on opening night yeah Hey, James Wan, you made us billions of dollars, set us up good with things, did a lot of great work for us at our studio. Can you just uh, you share a cab with Momoa and uh, go <laughs> meet some people in the lobby for the first screening of your public screening of your new movie? Send us Thanks. a receipt or not. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the memories. Like, Have fun at Universal. It just there's a, there's a thing also. Like just It's just not showing confidence in the film. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, they clearly understood, and to be fair, they're correct, that Wonka was their big, you know, year-end picture. And it's weird at the end. Where, yeah, that's 
I mean, they've got the top three movies at the box office right now, for better right. or worse. Mm-hmm. And The Color Purple is doing very well on a reasonable budget. I mean, it didn't cost 200 and whatever to make. Right. Um, but, and, you know, this just goes to the notion that, you know, DC, you know, Warner Brothers needs to really take stock of how the last decade of trying to build a DC universe has done very real harm to their image and their relationships with talent and basically their you know media narratives in every other space of their company. Yeah. They don't um, they Warner Brothers once purchased a company called New Line Cinemas that fell into a hole because they kind of thought maybe we're always Lord of the Rings. They weren't Lord of the Rings. So you yeah. don't always have to be Marvel or DC. You have other, um, yeah. And the irony is, you know, in a skewed, bonkers, bananas kind of way, the fact that Warner Brothers can make a hit off films like Wonka and Color Purple and The Meg 2 and Barbie means that they kind of won the superhero wars against Disney. Because yeah. Disney now is entirely reliant on Marvel movies. They are, yeah. With the exception of a couple of Fox IP, you know, Avatar, maybe Planet of the Apes, et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, their animation is on the downturn, their live action remakes, you know, they peaked with Katzenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and they haven't had a new live action, new to cinema franchise since National Treasure almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they are in a huge pickle because they are now entirely reliant on the MCU. And their streaming service. <laughs> and their streaming service, for better or worse. Yeah. I mean, they've got the IP they got next year. I mean, yeah, they got Apes and they've got Alien, right? That comes out. Uh, Alien Romulus. Yeah. Or Alien, Ge- Alien Geometry. What'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they're going to start you know, milking those Fox. Yeah. Deadpool's Fox. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's. And, you know, they're Disney. I'm sure they'll figure something out. Mm-hmm. But. Again, I mean, I think if, if, you know, without getting into the broader, what the hell is going on with Warner Brothers right now? Because again, you know, when they're getting Toys R Us right now, which is when they get purchased by a big company that dumps all their debt on them that they didn't right. cause. Um, and unfortunately, that's that's what happens a lot in today's venture capitalism universe. That being said, and just talking theatrical movies, you know, they have always been more than Warner, you know, Harry Potter and Batman. Mm-hmm. And now they need to prove it. They need to be in a position where when Superman Legacy opens in July of 2025, it is an important temple, not a do-or-die release. Right. And they need to go back. I mean, they're they're, <laughs> they're booting, they're forcing Eastwood into retirement, but they, who do they have there? They've lost Nolan. They've lost Juan. They, Affleck made air somewhere else. Yeah. Um they, that's one thing I used to like about Warner Brothers. They used to have like you know studio directors that were there in house. And once Eastwood finishes out, let's be fair. He's like 120 years old. I don't know if he's he is. He is. He is in his 90s. <laughs> he's in his 90s. But I know it's just kind of like I think that's him and it. Ridley Scott are sort of in a, a duel. They're the so, duelists. So anyway, we'll, we'll we'll look at the future of some things here in a moment. Um, but I thought it was crazy this movie. Nobody died. Yeah, there were Mar- at least three fake out deaths. Yeah, Mara, no. Dad, no. Nope. Daddy Mother, Mara, nope. 
Brother, no. Daddy Mara, no. Randall Park, no. Yeah. Black Manta, probably not. Yeah, I, I think in the context I've, of this movie, yes. I feel like he's like the uh, Murdoch from MacGyver here in these movies. <laughs> he's like, MacGyver. He's like, Arthur. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh-huh. there's that. Um, there's also, you know, the end of this movie where Aquaman does. I figured that would have happened already. People seem to know about things, but he, you know, presents a, a peace offering to or a working together and this is the first time i ever took note that oh he's king king arthur oh i can't ha you Never. didn't notice the end of the first one where she pronounces him as king arthur no i didn't i didn't fit one. seeing the text on the screen is what made me go oh shit um which that's kind of a fun ending to this dc stuff well, I mean, you know if we're allowed to talk about the ending, I mean, yeah, I kind of love the I'm, fact that the DCEU or DC films, whatever you want to call it, the end of it is basically Aquaman I, comes out of the ocean and says, okay, you know, enough of this stopping evil supervillains and all that bullshit. Let's actually save the fucking planet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. The DCEU will end. Their last movie ends the same way the MCU's first one ended. Where he says, oh, yeah. I am I Aquaman. It's like, yeah. I, it's like, I'm right. guessing that was very much intentional. Um, yeah. But again, I, I like the idea that mm-hmm. this film ends with what, you know, frankly, is their flagship superhero at this point, at least in this universe, saying that, you know, we, you know, we are going to use our superpowers to solve the real problems of the world. Yeah. You know, after a decade or so of, you know, death rays and, and, you know, doomsday devices and whatever. And that's been, you know, part of the discourse for a while, especially in the last few years. And frankly, I think that's part of the part of the decline in popularity of DC Marvel superhero films is, you know, it became even more apparent than it already was to the extent that it was an irrelevant power fantasy. Yeah. That the stuff that the superheroes are protecting us from are not the real threats. Right. Well, this one tries to have some sort of global warming climate change type allegory, yeah, but it's like it's you know, forced because of a bad guy's magical stuff. Well, but but they're also like, they're just, ex- anyway. yeah, it's going to happen anyway. We just accelerated it. And now we need to really do something. And that's the idea is like, you know, yeah. if we, if we had real superheroes in the real world, that's what we'd want them to do. Yeah. We'd want them to stop global warming and then, you know, maybe turn to, you know, world hunger or, you know, unlimited energy or transportation and, you know, real problems. Well, that's kind of kind of in it. Kind of matches like Batman v Superman. They were kind of showing Superman forcing himself into those situations without a "Hey, yes, do you mind?" or "Should we do this?" He was just doing this. Whereas Aquaman has now presented like, "Let's work together at this." What do you want me to do with this? What can we do? Whereas they, which is it's kind of a nice contrast that way. And you know, I mean, obviously, we're never going to get an Aquaman three, and that's fine, but whatever. But. uh, it's like, I would love to see an Aquaman movie where, you know, how does he work with the world of humanity to solve global warming? Well, I mean, both the 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 Aqu- the first two Aquaman have largely been a part of, about dealing with the politics of a kingdom. He was an outsider at first, and then now it's yeah. him with the inner workings. Then it would be him working with another, you know, the new yeah. agreement with, you know, working with the governments of the world. Yeah. Um, and and doing that, so that would be a common theme going around with the Aquaman. So that'd be totally fitting of where a third Aquaman would go. And I guess our our villain would have to be a 
Aquaman land faring villain that I've never heard of because I don't. <laughs> and somehow Black Manta would be involved. Yes, he would of course be around again because um, he would now have a tank that looked like a Manta <laughs> going around the streets. Um, and, but yeah, I, I I think this is a very interesting place for this universe to end mm-hmm. with the idea of again, you know, the, the the superheroes coming to Earth and saying, "Okay, we're going to solve real problems." Yeah. It's a cool um, idea. It's sort of a, you know, Superman, I, mean, I don't know if you've read it, but Superman Peace on Earth, it was a, a small, a short Alex Ross graphic novel from like God, 20 years ago now mm-hmm. that was basically Superman setting out to solve world hunger and the obstacles and conflicts that got in his way with that. Huh. And it wasn't as easy as Superman's going to solve world hunger. And gotcha. I think at its best, Batman v Superman plays in that same sandbox. Yeah, there's some interesting. These movies had interesting things to say, yeah. and and kind of some more overt ones than the Marvels movies would get it because the Marvels were very cautious, very safe. They had good things to say, um, and sometimes they hit they'd hit the mark with them. But the DC ones, they kind of wore stuff on their sleeves a bit more than the Marvel ones. I think the you know without getting into you know, I think the first phase and maybe the first two phases of the MCU mm-hmm. were very much about, you know, the reaction to 9-11. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that, you know, you... Iron Man was more profiteering. You know, Thor was using a scalper versus using a broad score. Disproportionate responses. They also weren't like, under the Disney. America was about, you know, civil liberties and, and, and use, you know, giving into fear versus, you know, yeah. making free, you know, um, restorative justice, if you will. They also weren't under the Disney banner at the time as well. Yes. They were, yeah, they were Paramount, Universal. Like Paramount yeah. Universal. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, I, I'd say Iron Man 3 says some strong stuff still, and so does Winter Soldier to a degree. I don't think they really start, I don't even say backpedaling, because again, I mean, Thor Ragnarok is basically, a you know, it was such an interesting template for what a blockbuster could be about. Yeah. The idea that a world based on you know, soiled politics and and blood and and you know, blood and treasure could not stand. Yeah, and it was so you know they basically frozen two and trolls two both ripped it off. Yeah, <laughs> and right. Strange World to a certain extent, and Strange yeah. World was the only one that had the courage of Thor and Three's convictions, where actually the world in question did get destroyed. Yeah, true, true, um, true. Because the corrupt empire could not stand. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's. So yeah, but to, to to Aquaman too with the serious stuff, but there's also there's some just some overt silliness that I don't think mm-hmm. some people who like to fancy them film buffs or something that don't, may not get or understand like film tour people like I don't think they realize James Wan's totally aware of what he's doing with like the ridiculousness of the Black Manta sub the bar scene with Martin Short I didn't know was in this movie <laughs> um, yeah. uh, just a lot of the stuff that seems odd so like that little squid that goes around with him following him around funny shit like he knows what he's doing like he, he <laughs> he's in on the joke guys like yeah I, he's and that's conscientious choices here that's something that i don't think like from aqua the first aquaman to to malignant to this now like i don't think people understand like it's, it's supposed he's to be a silly guy yeah he's a very very yeah, silly I mean, compliment guy. he made megan yeah. like he he produced that like come yeah. on folks like um, and I, I do appreciate the one reference to the whole conversation erupted by explosions bit for the first film. Yes. And it happens at exactly the right time because you've completely forgotten that you were waiting for that. 
Very true. Very true. Uh, Scott, what, what's our what's our box office outlook here with this one? We we've already had it for so when this airs, I mean, we're recording this the Wednesday before its second weekend. We don't know what the second weekend is going to do. Uh, Scott can try to give you his prediction on that, and then you can laugh after you have the actuals in front of you as you're listening to this show. But what what's it looking like in these? The scenarios? film opened with approximately 133 million worldwide in its first several days because it opened on Friday in North America and opened on Wednesday in several other territories, mm-hmm. uh, including China. Um, December releases have legs that are longer on the regular than any other time of the year. The reason for that, especially in North America, is that you have that two-week slot, you know, Christmas, New Year's, and so forth, where your kids are out of school, a lot of adults are off work, so you have two Friday, uh, Monday to Thursday frames that act like weekends. <laughs> so you have films like, you know, Jumanji, the next level that can open to $59 million and lay out to 315 million domestic, 320 domestic. You have films like Puss and Boost, the last wish that can open to $26 million over, uh, you know, Wednesday to Sunday and still leg out to 185 million domestic. Um, and, and you have, you know, big tentpole movies like, you know, The Hobbit Pictures, the first two that opened on a Friday, they both did well and above 3.5 times their opening weekends. A Tron Legacy did 3.9 times its opening weekend. Aquaman did 4.6 times its opening weekend. That, by the way, was the latest live-action big-budget comic book movie since Tim Burton's Batman in 1989. When you look at films, big movies that have opened in December that have not done well, it's a short, it's a small list. I mean, you're talking crap like Alien versus Predator Requiem, for God's sakes. Star Trek Nemesis, which even in that case got pancaked by the two towers five days later. Aquaman is supposed to be the 60 to underbound gorilla of the year, of the season. So, and, you know, it's, 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 there's nothing left between now and the next year's yeah because nothing oh, everything drops and then they just yeah play and the only thing that's going to open is various academy stuff in other cities that are already out in new york yes. and la or limited release and then like you're going to get that marco polo night swimming movie yes um and if a fi- if a big film is doing well even an Oscar expander that kicks ass like La La Land or Hidden Figures or 1917 or uh, American Sniper um, or The Revenant, mm-hmm. those can still kick ass while they, at the year-end temples are still doing very well. Yeah. Um, now, and of course, unfortunately, post-COVID, that's one of the situations where you just don't have the Oscar breakouts on the level that you used to, you know, prior to 2020. Um so if the punditry around Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is a little bit less doom and gloom than it was around the Marvels, partially is because we're expecting longer legs. It could make it to 150 million domestic, maybe 350, 400 worldwide, just by default, because mm-hmm. it's the one big, you know, IMAX-friendly, mega-budget action fantasy franchise movie out there right now. Yeah. Um, and it, you could have been, you could have been, uh, the, the Marvels could have been like what the Spectre, but Spectre Skyfall, but nope, the Hunger Games got that because, yeah, I guess more um, people like that movie. 
<laughs> well, no, it's, 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 you know, when people like the Marvels, they would have gone to the Marvels. I mean, that's, yeah. that's that. generally speaking, I thought the Marvels was fine. Whatever. Yeah, I, I thought it was a fun um, movie. Yeah. But, so, I mean, if this were opening at any other time of the year other than December, I'd figure it was DOA. Yeah. I mean, we'd be talking Marvel's numbers here. You yeah. Know, crashes by like 60, 70%, ops out at 85 million. You know, maybe it gets to two, 250 worldwide because China's actually pulling money for once, relatively speaking. Again, the first Aquaman had 300 million in China in 2018, 2019. This one will be lucky to do 60. Yeah, that's, again, that's, that's more about the Chinese marketplace torn Hollywood movies in the last three years than about Aquaman itself. Right. And the Marvels, at the point it comes out, it's like, oh, what? This ain't gonna make it to December. This might be playing on Christmas Day on Disney Plus. Like, I'm surprised it didn't happen, but it didn't. Maybe the window wasn't quite there. But they, but they did Encanto. They did on Disney Plus. Well, that was 31 days, and I think they shot themselves in the foot doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, mean, that's how you know this one. Aquaman could fail really hard, but we gotta wait and see. That's that's the thing. Like, and again, it's not gonna be a hit. There's no. Situation no. where it legs and legs and legs and makes it to six hundred million dollars, or like, oh, you dodged that bullet. Going in, nobody was expecting it to. Nobody was expecting a resurrection of the DCEU. DCU was already here. Yeah, this is Marvels the was the announcement of this. Like that's it. That's the difference. We're already here with yeah. DC. Marvels was like, uh oh, that. Yeah, you know. And frankly, <laughs> most of the hit pieces on Aquaman came out before the movie opened. Yeah, past few years, reshuffling the schedule, yeah. people coming in in trouble. Well, hashtag blah. Amber Heard destroyed it. Yeah, not so much. Um, like hey, it's, you know it, what? Aquaman has still made more money than any Johnny Depp movie ever. I mean, so stop acting, stop acting like the Snyder Bros that you don't like. With just because, like, you should have fucking watched Rebel Moon. Clearly, you didn't. Get to your, get to your <laughs> damn, get to your damn next movie and see what ha- like. It's not over for like the MCU. Clearly, there's going to be. I mean, even. I mean, you could always spend less money on the movies and just make something people want to see, and you can have hits again. But like, one seventy is a sweet spot for those pictures. Yeah, there you go. Um, but like, yeah, I just don't understand. That's been a conversation. Like, oh, they're trying to bring some sort. They're trying to play like some sort of sexist card with this, and it's nice try. It's not. That's not well, it. Well, they're not used to losing. Right. You know, they're not used to being treated like everyone else in terms of franchise. People wrote shit about Wonder Woman 84 back when that came out, folks. Like, this not... Like... Um, And, again, I do think there's some... You know, the question of why, how we discuss the success or not success of Napoleon and Killers of the Flower Moon compared to something mm-hmm. like Wish... And the Marvels, yes, that's a, that's a fair conversation. And the short version is those films were not expected to make profits in theaters in terms of budget, while Marvels and Wish absolutely were. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom sticks around just long enough to get to around 140 and then it certainly probably gets around 300 worldwide. Does it get to three, you know, 400? I don't know. The Meg did. I mean, it only cost 130, so that was actually a hit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. there's just nothing else out there on this scale that's going to fill the specific need. 
for uh, until Dune, really. Yeah, and I mean, it could be like a a really cheap a cheap Suicide Squad because you remember that movie opened pretty big, dropped, but then held it lingered. Well, um, made seven hundred forty five million. But the, the cheap version oh, yeah, of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm going to fail, but I'm not going to fail yeah. that. Bad, you know that type of thing. So we it's might see a big drop. The, it's going to do what the Suicide Squad would have done in non COVID times. There we go. There you go. Fair enough. Um, okay, so before we look forward, let's look back. Scott, what are your top five DC EU movies that we have gone over now that we have completed the run? Uh, the top four are pretty much in almost random order, but Shazam, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Birds of Prey, and the fifth, I guess, Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition. Okay. Okay. But for me, it's the top four and then everything else. Gotcha. Although there's a lot of three-star pictures in the middle, but whatever. Yeah. I, so, my top five, I have Shazam, I have Birds of Prey, I have Wonder Woman, I have Aquaman, and then at number five, I have Scott Mendelson's Zack Snyder's Justice League. We stopped the movie when the Superman six. S comes out. <laughs> That's when I stopped the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and and then right after that was the Suicide Squad was right after right after that for me. But um, I think the last time I did these, you know, this was twenty twenty one, right after the Suicide Squad came mm-hmm. out. I think it was the Suicide Squad and then Zack Snyder's Justice League. Gotcha. It's, I guess the top six are pretty much whatever. Yeah, movie I didn't mind. Wonder Woman eighty four. <laughs> like, I no, just, I mean, I really yeah, didn't like that. You know, in like, terms of just solid like, three star picture, yeah. you know, Wonder Woman eighty four, Aquaman uh, Lost Kingdom, Aquaman now Aquaman Lost Kingdom, uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods, yep. Beetle, yeah, and they're fine films. Yeah, they, uh, yeah. Uh, so, what was your very bottom film? Suicide Squad. I have to say mine too, but I flirted with maybe Black Adam. I just, I just am so <laughs> the movie bores me. But I, I had to be, I had to be like, you know what. That's actually a complete motion picture. Um, yeah. So there we go. Okay. Top three superheroes, which I just mean characters, that came out of this era. I guess by three. default, I'd have to say Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and either Superman or Shazam. Because I I think Superman in these films are interesting. It's, you know. Yeah. I had. Yeah. You know, I had Wonder Woman, Harley Quinn, and it was hard between Aquaman and Shazam. Yeah, that's who I. I, I know. Har, I, you know, I I like the Harley Quinn. Two of the movies I like a lot with her in it. So, I guess I still think of her as a villain. Even though uh, that's why I said heroes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So I meant like you know characters yeah, yeah. that they brought to life here, and what could have been the Flash. You know, you never know if he wasn't <laughs> such a shithead. Maybe something, but uh, the best villain. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor in Batman v Superman. I think he is delightful. I think okay. it's an interesting, nuanced, thoughtful characterization. I love listening to him pontificate. I like his dialogue. I like his rambling. I think he's an interesting contrast to Henry Henry's uh, Cavell Superman. And I think it's an underrated portion of a movie that only works as well partially because of him. Gotcha. I have the critics. <laughs> They were the real villain. No, just kidding. Uh, my number one was Ewan McGregor as Black Mask. Um, Let's see if we can go that route. Dwayne Johnson. No. <laughs> Ewan McGregor as Black Mask. I did have Eisenberg as Luther in my uh, two spot. And I also would have mentioned, I like Mark Strong. Um, 
Yeah. But justice for Joe Manganiello, who only appeared in a post-credit scene. What could have been? What could have been as Deathstroke? So, okay. Now that we've done that, what do you want or hope for from these DC movies going forward with their refresh? I want no more than two of these a year. One expensive, one cheap. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have one cheap, you just do one a year. Um, I want a grim, dark detective chimp movie. There you go. Bring there Sandberg you. back. He'd actually have fun with that if he wants to oh, do he it. Oh, he would. He would. Uh, yeah. Um, otherwise, I mean, I'm 43 years. I'll be 45 when the new movie comes out. At some point, I need to let this stuff go. Yeah. Just, you know, whatever. I got, you know, again, we got a DC universe. It lasted for 10 years. It was mm-hmm. a bumpy road. Excuse me. Excuse me. Recovering from a flu, my son gave me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got a DC universe and it was awkward. It was messy. It was very up and down and there were moments of brilliance and, and fortune and glory. And there were other points of utter despair and failure. And again, for me, the most frustrating thing is that a, I think there's been a lot of retroactive relitigation in terms of the Zack Snyder era from people that either forgot or don't care about how much they disliked those movies mm-hmm. when they first came out and that there was a reason that, you know, the theatrical cut of Justice League did, you know, came out the way it was, that it wasn't because of the mean evil studio executives. And the fact that I think, again, and I will say this until I'm blue in the face, the Walter Hamada era was successful yep. and it was on the right track until COVID came along, which then led to the return of the Snyder fan base and then an emphasis on HBO Max, which led them to put Wonder Woman 84 on HBO Max, which kneecapped that what otherwise would have been a smash hit. And it, you know, the narrative behind DC never recovered from that. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. you know, in a, and obviously it's, you know, not the worst thing to come out of COVID for obvious reasons. That being said, I genuinely think in a non-COVID world, we'd still be, you know, coasting along in a relatively successful, relatively successful DC universe under the Hamana verse. Yeah. And that would be fine. My wish won't come true with this uh, for going forward. I, I don't want a universe. I, I don't. I I want more of the Batmans, Jokers, uh, not exactly specifically those movies or whatever, but the novelty of mixing characters like this is gone, way gone. Um, yeah. It's not special. I don't care. It barely was an. It barely felt fresh and cool when DC did it. You know, like Batman and Superman met in a movie, and I was just like, cool. You know, it wasn't like big, and I don't. I don't care that. Oh, they didn't build it up like they should, but they built it up fine. And they, but it just didn't feel like, you know, I think just doing it with Marvel was fine because they were using, figuring a way to make people care about ancillary characters that weren't surefire box office gold. Um, I'd rather them be able to just make a, a booster gold movie and not have to worry how it fits with even if the movie is standalone itself, there are still limitations about the world with which it's taking place in. I'm not one who thinks like, well, if that's happening, why can't they call Wonder Woman? 
because uh, they're not making a Wonder Woman movie here. We're making this. But I just, you know, allowing creators to just have a freedom and not a, a handcuff, a slight handcuff, if even, to it. That's what I would like. That's what I like. I liked when I had Richard Donner's Superman and Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, I had Blade. I had the X-Men. Like, there are groups like Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Batman, Superman, The Flash, Wonder Woman. They don't need the... They have enough of a universe in their own canonical history that there's so much to put in there and use that they haven't even tapped here um, that they don't need it. Like, I know they exist in a printing publisher's wheelhouse of years and years of being under one banner, but like, just let them ride in their own sandbox for a while. That's what I'd like. Yeah. But, but we're getting a Superman movie that has the Green Lantern, but uh, Metamorpho or whatever, a Hawk person. Oh, no. And then James Gunn's coming out complaining about cameos. It's like, oh, no. Have you looked at your own long line? Yeah. Unless this is the beginning of the Suicide Squad reprise, I, the beginning. <laughs> but I just. I trust him as a film. I like his film. Yeah. So I, I, he has the benefit of the doubt, and I know he knows what he's doing. But I'm just like, I, they, the shared universe stuff, I'm like, nah, 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 I just, whatever. That's not interesting to me. I just want people to be able to make their own films. And like Matt Reeves, be able to make his Batman stuff. That's cool. Like I wasn't yeah. huge on the Batman, uh, but I hope it doesn't end at part two and they can just sweep it under. The, I hope it's a hit movie so they have no choice but to let him finish what he's doing that he was yeah. hired for. Um, I hope Joker 2 is a magnificent hit, so they're stuck <laughs> with these things and can't ignore them. But, yeah, that's that's my thing. Is My my universe wishes no universe. Sorry to be a sourpuss on that, but I, I like I said, when I read comics, I never liked the... If Superman popped up, said a couple, like Death of Robin, he shows up, whatever. Yeah. I, I never went the big route with things. I felt Batman had enough going on with his own, like he had his own interesting characters. Superman has his own interesting characters. If you can get past the guy, the damn ones are stuck on all the time, but yeah, or do wacky shit with it. Like I always thought it'd be cool. Like what about a Superman story where he's this new identity? Maybe it happened and I'm just not remembering like working in a bar because it's, in the future, Lois Lane has died. Jimmy Olsen's dead. Like everybody he knew has died, but he doesn't age. You know, like a new start. Yeah. Try, but you know, give us something new. Uh, tr- swing, swing for the fences with with this stuff. You know, you could do that. But um, I I trust James Gunn. I just want to like let's once again have a grit. Let's have a Superman, a third best Superman that we're really happy. It's the third best <laughs> Superman. You know that we're like you know what awesome. Is it better than Donner's? No. Is it better than the second one? No. But it's awesome. It's number three, but it's a uh, it's a very strong number three. That's what I'm hoping for <laughs> with this one. The one, see, it's third, not by default. Yes, not by default. That's what I want. Yeah, for the Superman. Um, but yeah, I'm going to miss Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. I really liked her. I would have liked to see a third movie. Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Uh, Shazam, maybe I just needed one movie. <laughs> you know, yeah, the second one was a nice victory lap. Um, glad I have it. But and I like Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. It just it just never worked financially. 
Yeah, she wasn't but, a mark. I, I was wrong. I, I thought yeah. she was a marquee character. She was not. She was one for the geeks. Uh, but hey, we got plenty <clears throat> with her. So, TCEU, you were not as bad or the joke or anything that people said you were. Um, that was just a lot of fans. Battled Marvel toe to toe for the fate of the superhero industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And while you may not have triumphed, you did succeed in destroying the entire fucking film industry in your yeah. wake. You, uh, Good job, Marvel and DC. You beat them to the punch in a lot of diversity areas, and you uh, you made an R-rated Joker film that made a billion dollars. And was nominated for Best Picture. Nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> got a Best, best actor, actor. One of our Best Actors of our generation. You had Todd Phillips nominated for Best Director. You had Todd Phillips nominated for a writer. You did that. You did that. So... Hey, yeah, but the thing was with DC, and it did Suicide Squad won an Oscar too, didn't it? The first one. <laughs> yeah, Oscar winning Suicide Squad. And no one will forget the moment the Flash went into Speed Force at the Oscars. <laughs> Nobody will forget that DCU. Nobody. One of the audience was like, the "Fuck is Everybody that?" Everybody at home was laughing too. Like, why is the scene that I don't remember from this movie that I barely remember and don't like seeing five years ago? Why did it just win an Oscar? What's going on? So funny. But thank you, DCU, for the years. It was a run. You had your shot. You took it. You made. You have some of my favorites in here of the superhero era, and you should be proud of that. And I've seen some of these, most of these, that I like a lot more than Marvel films that I like. And I'm not sliding Marvel. I just don't know what is with me that my rewatchability factor comes to these and not that one. But I think maybe the Marvel ones, I'll give you credit. Maybe you stay in my consciousness longer or something, or I feel they feel more uh, recent to me a lot more than some of these. I don't know. I'm just speaking out my ass, but let's end this thing. Goodbye, DCU. We'll see ya. It was nice. Thank you, Scott. For being a part the whole way. You're uh, very welcome. Also, thanks to Molly Henry, Chris Johnson, and Aaron Newworth for contributing as well. This was a very fun series, and I feel like it was a lot more positive that, like, I was going to be positive on a lot of this going in. I, I knew you kind of would too. Our guests were very, were a lot more positive about DCEU. And I think if you got anything out of this, there were good films in this, and it was mostly good, and the bad stuff was just really bad or really just not bad studio decision stuff um, that it came down to or things like that. So, um, so Scott, uh, where can people catch you at? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at, or whatever the hell they call it today, X, at X. Simelson. I'm on Facebook slash Meta. Um, but my writing, I, I do a, a weekly column at Uck News on the Sunday Night Newsletter. But my main outlet, uh, please sign up and subscribe to the outside scoop at Substack. Google some variation of Scott Mendelson's Substack outside scoop. Um, it will be partially paywall starting a week, well, basically New Year's Day. I mean, that's Monday, so yeah. Next, uh, next, yeah, next Monday. Um, so if you want to get everything. If you were wondering how much that butter pecan costs at the top of the show. $5 a month, $50 a year, or wherever you feel like giving in the founder's section. There you go. Excellent. Um, And yeah, so that's basically what I'm going to be doing for the next year and hoping it works out. All right. And uh, I know and- you and I are going to be continuing our podcast adventures for the 
summer of 2004 at 20. Yes. Was I like to call it the last summer for adults? There you go. Yeah, we'll be recording. You won't hear it until May, but Scott and I will begin. We're going to be recording that real soon um, since this is over. Um, but yeah, Scott and Aaron will be back for that. And we're going to, yeah, summer 2004 at 20. Um, that will be, yeah, that'll be May. And uh, got some interesting ideas to kind of make it unique. We brought Aaron this time to make it unique. We had more music video people to make it unique last year. So I've got some some ideas to, to work on 20, 2004. So we'll see. And uh, yeah, and I'm on the social medias at Brandon4KUHD. Um, thinking about uh, maybe 2024, maybe I, maybe I sign up for Letterboxd. Maybe I sign up for TikTok. If you want me there, let me know. Um, I don't have Weissel Blue anymore, so I have time for other things, you know, uh, looking through other avenues. Uh, you can find all things PopCon at popcon.us. Uh, the live podcast stage sign up for Indianapolis is up and running now, so sign up for be a part of the live podcast stage. It's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, next week, Chris Johnson, he is back, and we're doing a top 10 films of 2023. Uh, so don't miss that. Uh, over on the YouTube channel, um, I also have my top 4Ks and Blu-rays of 2023. I will not be doing a podcast for that because that's kind of visual. And uh, yeah, so check out for when they post. Uh, okay. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for checking out. Farewell, DCU. Uh, this retrospective was fun. And always remember, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.